case of nuclear or radiological fallout, people living around potential targets such as military bases and chemical plants may be advised to evacuate. Well, hello, Sublation Media viewers, uh, media readers, um, media, media. It's I, Douglas Lane. It is I, Ashley Frawley. <laughs> and uh, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. I think what happened was I, it, I hit the um, go live and then uh, end broadcast button all in one go, like click, 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 or something along those lines. So we were like maybe live for a second and then we were off. Uh, I believe that's what happened, but I'm not exactly sure what happened, but we are now live, and today we're going to be discussing uh, UFOs, the um, recent revelations that the United States government supposedly has, alien spacecraft, um, and the concept of the PSYOP. Um, Ashley, how, how are you doing today? <laughs> All right. So uh, as I was explaining in our first aborted broadcast, um, although I am a sociologist, uh, my not although I am a sociologist and my interest in UFOs is 100 percent a guilty pleasure, has nothing to do with anything sociological, except that perhaps I find conspiracy theories very interesting in the sense that, um, well, when it comes to Posadism, as we put in the thumbnail, the idea that after the revolution, everything will be fine, and then taking that to apocalyptic proportions, or the right-wing version of conspiracy theory, which is that without some distorting influence, everything would be fine. It delete the bad evildoers um, who are pulling the strings of society, and society would be just fine. So I find these kinds of poles of conspiracy theory, not really conspiracy theory, but sort of um, millenarianism and uh, apocalyptic thinking very interesting. Yeah, I do too. Um, I have to confess that when I uh, was younger and back in the 90s, um, I was absolutely fascinated and obsessed by the possibility that flying saucers were real. I used to pick up old copies of Fate magazine and um, magazine shops and and uh, antique stores. Um, uh, and you know, vintage stores and things like that. I uh, uh, I, I read Terrence McKenna, and I uh, I read Robert Anton Wilson's Cosmic Trigger, and I uh, I read the, the Project Blue Book, or at least tried to. It's a big thick book about the Air Force files on UFOs, angels and aliens, uh, the the serious mystery, um, just about anything I could get my hands on that would uh, demonstrate to me that not only were we not alone. But I had some uh, ability to ferret out the truth. You know, I wanted to be not only the you know contacted by the aliens, but know in advance, get it all figured out. I, I saw Stanton Friedman speak. He was a ufologist. Um, and, you went and, very deep. There was me thinking, like, <laughs> oh my God, I read some Reddit threads, and now <laughs> Doug's like, I have a twenty-year history of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I um, when I stopped uh, smoking the marijuana, I I I, I uh, became less interested in the flying saucer phenomena. Um, so by around 1995, I I put I kind of put that behind me. But if you knew me in 1991, you would you would know that I I was a true believer or wanted oh, to be. 
Really? See, I've never really been into that sort of thing. Um, I like to, I, I've always liked short stories, science fiction short stories. That is true. I always say that I like Star Trek, but I just like the idea of Star Trek when I, I just found it really boring. <laughs> when, I was, when it was like live on air, I was just a kid and my dad used to watch it. And I was like, dad, turn it off. It's so boring. But I love the idea of it and I love reading about it. Um, but I do love sci-fi short stories. Love them so much. Um, but I also love, and when Doug and I were talking about this last night, I totally outed myself as like being knee deep, <laughs> no, neck deep, up to my eyeballs in, in bullshit, because I was like, well, there's a particular kind of experience or story that I really like. And Doug was like, no, no, you just outed yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Experiencer. Yeah. You, you talk about people who've seen or contact, you know, or been on board flying saucers as experiencers. And I know. You've read the literature. You you have you've, you've dipped your toe in at least. But here's um, the thing. Here's the thing. For me, the reason why I like it is because it's like I don't read a lot of fiction. I read obviously short stories, but I, I, that's pretty much the extent of it. Don't read novels, that kind of thing. I know that's really bad, and I should grow up and start reading fiction. But it never really appealed to me. But I love things with verisimilitude. So um, I just finished a book on called <laughs> Medieval Woman, which is just goes through the daily life of um, of a woman during medieval times, like uh, re recreating all the different ways that they lived with no plot whatsoever, like 12 months of the year. Loved it. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I love that sort of thing. And I, I really hate it when abductees, is that the normal way I should talk about oh, it? No, I can say experiencers. Let's just, you know, I really on. hate it when oh, it's like su super woo-woo. And they're like, oh, I went under hypnosis and so on. Like then my sociologist true self comes in. And I'm like, oh, come on. You're ruining the verisimilitude here where they're like, you know, first of all, hypnosis is widely discredited. And as I've studied, you know, caused moral panics in the past was the driver behind like the satanic panic or big portions of it. So I can't get on with that. So I love the experiencer stories where they're like, I just like woke up. And, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry for explaining this and I got no big message, but this is just what happened. I'm just trying to deal with it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that I can, I can kind of half believe. I can live action role play like they're here. <laughs> so it's really hard for me to kind of talk about this seriously because it's just like a guilty pleasure where the fun side of me likes to like kind of tie a rope around my waist and jump in, you know, and just really mm -hmm. believe it and just really immerse myself in these stories. I think they're wonderfully entertaining, but to like take it seriously, it's a very tricky thing to do. So anybody who tried to cover this story in the news covered it in a very jokey way. So there was like usually two reporters. So to the extent that it was covered, it was usually two reporters, one of them laughing and the other one, you know, highly skeptical and the other one saying, huh, but what if, what if? And the other one, no, no, no. So it's so far outside the Overton window. It's very difficult to talk about without being cranky. I want to get to the, you know, our actual opinions about this story now and, and, and talk about the David Grush revelations directly but I, I just, I'm sorry, I, I have to say a little bit more about my obsession and, and what I, I have to <laughs> but did, did you ever read um, Whitley Strieber's Communion? Have you ever picked that book up? No. No? It was a big bestseller in the, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. It was a huge deal. He went on Phil Donahue. He was, you know, a, 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 he was a horror writer who became a massive celebrity because of his claims that he had been abducted and he was one of those experiencers who came back 
with profound messages for humanity. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and, you know, at least he seemed to um, uh, think that they were profound anyway. There's a great uh, movie version of Communion starring Christopher Walken as Whitley Stryber. And he's the most alien thing in the whole movie. His performance is just absolutely bizarre uh, in that movie. Um, uh, yeah, so what what I'll say is that I understand Posadism um, thoroughly because I, when I was in my 20s, I was like dedicated kind of anarcho-communist type and definitely thought, that if the if only we could talk to the aliens, they would set us all straight. We could we could figure out how to live together. We'd overcome all of these um, you know hierarchies and authoritarian tendencies and yeah and and join the cosmos and uh, you know who knows maybe there are multiple multiple dimensions maybe synchronicities play a part of it yeah so that's uh, it, the like sociological thread where it's like wish fulfillment where you can see how Posadism brings together this sort of um, desire for like something big to happen and then like a revelation, the sort of like quasi-religious, like um, we all, but uh, secularized, you know, we all sort of ascend into heaven kind of thing. <laughs> um, right. And then that gets meshed with like after the revolution, all things are solved. So it's like a, 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 after a clean slate humanity gets another chance or after the the aliens come and we all are fighting amongst ourselves with sticks and stones and we look up and everything that we've been doing seems stupid at that kind of you can see how <laughs> the worst aspects of um sort of displacing a human responsibility onto religion or onto something beyond humanity um are expressed and then when people do that it takes me out of the story you know <laughs> right i i um I, I want to point out that while I was researching for this, uh, and I'm actually writing an, a, an essay that I hope to make into a Critical Cuts video by Thursday um, about Slovoj Zizek and ideology and UFOs. Um, and I found someone else had already written about this, uh, a young woman named Carmel Koblenz, uh, has written for Confluence, which is a student publication at NYU. And she is writing about uh, Sylvain Zizek and Stephen Greer and how both Zizek and Greer helped her with her spiritual awakening um, and the uh, how she's reached out to or discovered higher forms of consciousness. Um, she talks about communicating with her spirit guides through signs and synchronicities. And, you know, if you look into it a little bit, I just kind of glanced uh at who she was she's a young you know 20 maybe 21 year old nyu student trying to figure out the world i think that like ufo stories and trying to find a higher power and uh, some guidance in the world outside outside of your family like in the contemporary moment like it it serves as sort of function to help uh certain kinds of young people come of age to to reach out or or think that they might be in a universe which has a uh, sec secretly gives a shit about them you know like secretly there are spirit guides and aliens and um you know uh, and uh, some benign conspiracies working in the background to make sure that they they 
land where they need the land and their life can have some significance. I certainly think that's what the compensatory uh, uh, aspect of my own UFO obsession was. Um, so, you, you know, I, I, I yeah, I suppose I, that's, that's the kind of escapism of it, right? So I think that's part of where my interest too is like, I want to escape to a world in which something really big and important will happen instead of um, the same old, same old drudgery of, you know, working life. And I think that's, you know, for a lot of people, you know, this when there's like a date attached to a UFO prophecy, you know, it gives people something to look forward to in a world where it seems like there are fewer and fewer of these things. You know, <laughs> I, again, like I just read a book about medieval life. <laughs> Another one of my guilty pleasures is sort of like um, everyday life and everyday objects or the history of everyday objects. But anyways, um, previous cultures, historically there were many more kind of um uh, celebrations to mark the passage of time and these seem to be fewer and fewer now and have m hold less and less meaning and we seem like uncertain what even uncertain what to do with some of them so like you know valentine's day comes around everyone's like ah, i don't know what am i supposed to do here isn't this like a corporate holiday and <laughs> and so it's just kind of you know if you're a kind of progressive person you let it pass by easter people are like what is this like christmas number two do i give gifts you know be, the meaning behind these sort of the passage of time loses itself it, is lost mm -hmm. and so when something has a date it's something like i can step outside and go into another world or i will at this point go into another world when there are fewer and fewer opportunities for that yeah well shall we talk about the the big revelation because it could be that everything we said up to this point is entirely wrong that <laughs> that there are in fact alien spacecraft in area 51 um we're living in a, a universe filled with spirit guides and many dimensions and it's all about to be disclosed so um, let's take a look at the, at the, what, no, let's take a look at the clip. These are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft if you will, non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. How many? Quite a number. You're kidding. No. When you recover something that's either landed or crashed, um, Sometimes you encounter um, dead pilots. And uh, believe it or not, as, fan as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. Believe it or not, as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. It's true. No kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> are, you, oh, are you frozen there, Ashley? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hi. Okay. I think I was frozen, and now it's all coming back really quick because I decided to post on Twitter that we're live, and I forgot to do it earlier. Anyways, oh. <laughs> um, so, Doug, you mentioned at the very beginning, is this real? Is this something that we should uh, look at, or is it a psyop? And I was like, false dichotomy. Is it? Is it just some guy who's insane? That's another option also. Right. <laughs> but right. let's, okay, let's look at uh, each of these options not in order. So I just want mean? to reiterate what I said while you were kind of tweeting, like, which is, have you noticed the guy's body language throughout? I saw a video that pointed this out, but he's like, I'm not kidding. It's absolutely true. Yes. I know it's hard to believe, but 
and he's just shaking his head no the whole time and 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 it just there's this quality to his delivery which is like i don't know like it's an improv sketch or or some sort of performance it does not seem authentic to me the way he speaks about this um but but anyway what what do you okay know? well that actually segues quite well into my question you mentioned mm -hmm. at the beginning that you think this is oh, that you think of this is but it there's a possibility that it's some kind of style can you explain what you mean by that well i'm not sure but okay here's why i say that here's the evidence for that um he's been given permission by the department of defense to speak on this subject he is um he's a uh, uh intelligence officer um oh look we've got uh, we got a, a a super chat yeah people should toss in if they can and if you toss in with the super chat and and ask a question we'll certainly answer it um uh the article um was the, the authors who wrote uh this piece around david grush previously landed their work in the new york times um there's going to be congressional hearings about his whistleblowing um so all of that together makes me think that uh, if the story is not true and David Grush uh, knows that it's not true, he's not just crazy, um, or even if he doesn't know it's not true, but he was fed false information, th that this is being done with some intention behind it, that it's not, uh, it's not an error. Um, so because it you know he has permission to speak and on this topic and to say the very things that he's saying um that's the reason i think it's a psyop i don't have any idea what its particular aim is although there is a conspiracy theory that could explain it um which a conspiracy theory which is as crazy as the claims grush is making um but but which we might talk about, but but uh, do you want me to just tell you what it is and what it's called? Go on. I'm dying it's, to know. <laughs> it's called Project Blue Beam, and it's been around oh. for decades. oh, it's one of those with a name and everything. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. And the uh, I forget the the French man who originated the theory, but uh, the idea is that the governments of the earth, the UN particularly, I think. Uh, but also the United States government, it has been in contact with extraterrestrials, with UFOs, people on UFOs. Um, and they've they've uh, been given alien technology, which has advanced our ability to make holographic imagery. And they are now using that technology to plan uh, a, a psyop on all of humanity to create a false religion based around a holographic display of a flying saucer landing and a visitation from outer space. Uh, the, they're going to create um, the illusion of contact and of there being higher dimensional beings in order to set up one world government and around a religion to get to eliminate uh, Christianity and all other human religions and to uh, institute total control over the earth's population um there's so that's the conspiracy theory uh and you know who they are who's really planning this you know and deep in the background it's as is per usual i believe 
ultimately that this is being blamed all on the Jews. But um, <laughs> but but, but uh, <laughs> well, all of these conspiracy theories, if they're not actually directly anti-Semitic, they're formally or structurally anti-Semitic. They have mm -hmm. to posit some sort of uh, secret group of plotters and conspiracists who are outside of the rest of humanity uh, yeah. to who and are deviously unlatching this, yeah. this plot, uh, hatching this plot. So this is this is of course associated with the right, but over time, as sort of the materialist roots of um, socialism have weakened, and you have all kinds of different socialisms and so on flourishing with long kinds of histories, um, you get this kind of um, idea on the left as well. Which is why when I teach about Marxism, and if anybody wants to see how I teach Marxism, you can see the lectures on um, on our Patreon. But I, I have a picture of like, you know, a fat cat capitalist, you know, at a chessboard. Um, and I'm like, no, this is not Marxism. If that's right. what you are thinking is Marxism, I want you to leave those thoughts at the door. We are talking about a, a theory of, of like structures, not bad people who are doing mean, bad things. If we could just get rid of those mean, bad people. No, 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 no. You start doing that, we're going down a very bad path. <laughs> Marx right. is a lot smarter than that. Anyways, but yeah, so you can see this across the, the political spectrum now. So anybody who thinks of themselves as a thinking person um, who wants to kind of question media narratives can find themselves traversing this kind of path if they don't have a strong sort of materialist foundation. Right. And and the thing to note about Project Bluebeam, the, the thing I find most interesting about it is that it has it both ways there are extraterrestrials the government has been in contact with them there is secret technology being shared but they're going to create a fake ufo event uh in order to trick everyone into worshiping these hot these beings from a higher dimension and create total control uh, over the earth well why bother if you're in contact with real extraterrestrials with actual flying saucers why bother creating a holographic display of of the of the event why why uh you know perpetrate a fraud why not just invite them to just land since they they, they do exist and the whole on all the holographic technology supposedly comes from from alien civilizations anyway it's like the you know they want to hold on to the idea of these these space beings from another dimension who are su super advanced and maybe godlike and at the same time deny it. it it's a it's a very strange kind of schizophrenic contradictory conspiracy theory this project blue beam but it seems to be coming true doug i know i <laughs> there know there have been a I number mean, even... of revelations <laughs> right i mean if it is a psyop it doesn't mean that the ufos aren't real and if the UFOs are real, that doesn't mean this isn't a PSYOP, which means, of course, what, I mean, what are we to make of that? I mean, I guess what <laughs> we should do is like the boring work of like investigating the claims, seeing what, you know, where they lead to asking for actual evidence. Uh, no, here's the thing. Here, the problem with the PSYOP theory is that you can't really do that. You can't go and take this seriously and investigate the claims and so on. For it to be some kind of PSYOP, I, I would imagine that it has to be believed and covered, which it isn't. I mean, maybe like UFO claims are getting more mainstream coverage than would have been the case in the past. That's certainly the case. But 
as I said, when it was covered in any kind of media, it was in a very jokey kind of slow news day fashion. Um, so it's not like, you know, it was like this great big deal or something like that to try to def deflect attention from other issues because it, it didn't. And as I said, it's so far outside of the Overton window <laughs> that you can't really, it, like there are much, much better ways to deflect people, to deflect attention from things that governments do. Much better oh, ways. Okay, okay so what... So if it wasn't a deliberate psyop on the part of the DOD, what do you think explains the fact that this uh, that the 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 UAP, UAP unit exists, that the government money is being poured into this project? Uh, that th I mean, this this guy David Grush comes out of that UAP, UAP project, which like I think. If I remember correctly, Podesta is part of, and other, uh, you know, uh, U.S. politicians have helped to um, uh, found. Um, and what what explains the way in which a small part of the government has been, if not actually providing evidence about uh, UFOs, has been uh, issuing press releases, keeping the topic in people's minds, putting forward the idea that there's going to be a big uh, revelation. I mean, there was supposed to be, they, they demanded that the Pentagon release all of its information. Um, you know, I think it was a year and a half ago or maybe two years ago now. Um, and there was like a deadline and it, the deadline approach. And, and if you were like me secretly paying attention to this topic, uh, you were waiting to see if the big day would come where we would all be told uh, that the UFOs are here. And on the day of the Pentagon's release, what we got was a restatement of what we already knew, which was, yeah, there have been all these reports from pilots and military officers and and uh, and others of radar, you know, glitches or you know, they, they, or visual comp you know, visual sightings or of, of a number of anomalous events around things in the air, and. Um, and but and the government doesn't quite know what all of them are, which is the same thing that came out of Project Blue Book in the 50s, I think it was. So uh, I, they are continually keeping this issue alive without resolving it. They're not releasing mm -hmm. all of the documents, but they're keep kind of, you know, in dribs and drabs releasing information. So yeah. what do you think the point of it is, if not? some sort of psyop. Well, I will respond to that. But Dave L has very, very kindly given us uh, $5 and asked oh, yeah. if we've seen Mirage Men. It's always a psyop. I have not seen Mirage but Men. But we will. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that up right now. It's a 2013 documentary horror film. Um, John Lundberg, written by Mark Pilkington. Um, and yeah, I'll have to check that out. Hopefully it's on Tubi which means I could watch it for free. But yeah, it... Uh... Don't, don't start plugging things if you're not getting paid for it. I'm just kidding. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, where's me. our bucks, Tubi? Um, okay. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So as I said, there's like, I don't know. I think there's like three possibilities here. Um, mm -hmm. So one is the guy's crazy. Two, there's a psyop. And I'm sure the viewers will tell me there's more possibilities, but let's just go with these. And mm -hmm. third, this is real. And there's several different like threads of this is real. Like there's the crazy thread, which is mm -hmm. like, 
if it is real, if you look at experiencer stories, mm. they're not nice. <laughs> mm. They don't seem to be doing nice things. Um, I think a pretty common thread is that they are evil and you can feel like a pretty strong sense of evil. So I, I would like kooky Ashley with her, you know, rope tied around her waist, but still floating around in the psycho universe. Um, <laughs> sorry to people who believe in like truly believe in experience and, and have experiences. I know that was a mean thing to say, but it is, it's, it's kooky. It's not something that we have the uh, material basis to believe in just now. But anyways, as I roam around in this universe, that's one of the most common things. And it makes me sort of fall down on the side of like, um, well, if this is real, it's not like the whole law of one, uh, they're trying to raise our vibration, all the stuff that seems to come from hypnosis. But it seems to be something like H.G. Um, Wells, um, you know, predicted or predicted or, or talked about with um, War of the Worlds, where it was like, what if aliens came to us with the same outlook that we did going to the colonies? You know, that's the obvious kind of fear that we would be treated as we treated others. And, you know, the tendency to treat people like lab rats and so on um, certainly does, at least in experiencer stories, does seem to go with that. So that's the sort of like the kook kookiest kind of realm of the real, mm -hmm. uh, if this is real. And then there's the sort of middle of the way, which is what the government has kind of said, which is, yes, we do have footage of these things. No, we don't know what they are. And then, and, and then you get these sort of whistleblowers and the person doesn't appear to have been shot while walking down the street. And one way that if this is real, one way that you could understand that is exactly what you were sort of alluding to, which is this kind of approach to public relations, which is to drip drip, that you really couldn't have an enormous revelation of aliens because like we had a comet and that um, produced a death cult, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, there are a lot of people who don't have a lot of meaning in their lives and can latch on to something like that and produce not so great results. And that's obviously the fear. Right. And so if I were in government, <laughs> I might actually take that line. But certainly governments have done that with very large things. So things that people would never have accepted um, became acceptable slowly through a kind of slow education process. I know this is very Jordan Peterson-y. Um, but it is, it is just a basic kind of um, sociological observation that um, that's how PR works. Um, people might want something very extreme, but they will start with something very limited. They will start inside the Overton window before they gradually kind of push it. Um, and you, we saw this with COVID, with lockdown restrictions. From the very beginning, you know, well, yes, there was a big revelation. There was a lot of fear and so on. But what was done about it was a kind of slow drip. So you had lockdowns that were supposed to be just for a few weeks. Obviously, I'm talking with the UK, there were different situations in different parts of the world, but it was meant to be short term. Um, and then it was like, okay, we'll extend it a little longer, a little longer. And then the, what the UK government did was really interesting. They kind of drip fed the, the restrictions. So there were leaks, constantly leaks. So they would leak information, gauge the public reaction, and then decide which restrictions they were going to go with, um, which is an alternative, I guess, to focus groups. <laughs> um, so this is what they would do. So, you know, if 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 it's real, if there is some revelation to be had, however small, um, they have to be very careful. I think it's as 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 much as I hate to um, 
now look at me, I'm defending a government, which I definitely did not intend to do when I started mm. talking, but it makes sense to drip feed the information. Um, so that's also one possibility where, you know, covering this in mainstream press, however jokey, is certainly something different than maybe 20 years ago. Well, look, if what David Grush says is true, right, then they have been uh, dripping out the information for almost a century, for like 80 years. I mean, oh, it's not okay. like, because, you know, he's saying the uh, Roswell story is true. That actually maybe goes back to the 30s that there have been crashed disks that they retrieved. Um, and certainly it is the case that since the 40s, the flying saucer phenomenon has been as it is now in the popular imagination. This guy, Kenneth Arnold, saw something he didn't understand. He was an Air Force pilot uh, in the skies over Mount Rainier. He uh, came back and reported it. He said the craft skips, skipped across the skies like, uh, like flying saucers skipping across a lake. And um, that's where the term flying saucers came from. So it's been around for a, a long time. It's not actually because of what they're shaped like, but because of how Kenneth Arnold described their movement after he saw actually triangular craft, I believe it was, uh, in the skies over Mount Rainier. Um, the Roswell incident occurred in 1947, right? So, uh, yeah. But, but for but us whose, whose brain stopped developing circa the year 2000, 1947 was 50 years ago. So, <laughs> but did I, I think I said nearly a century, which was thinking it was about 80 years ago. But um, in any case, it, you know, it was, it, it's somewhere between, yeah, what, what's, what, what would that be? If it was happening in 43, then that would have been 80 years ago. And so, 76 I, years I assume ago. that you were referring to like all sorts of things that happened in the course of the uh, 20th century. Not just I, I was thinking Roswell is one of them, but yeah, it could have been used far back as the 30s that he's that there, I think that there were even some other uh, myths or legends around crash craft around them. Uh, and, um, you know, if you go deep into it, you know, there are Bible stories that possibly are referring to flying <laughs> saucers and so on. Um, but uh, so if i mean even if we assume that there's some truth like to the story that they're just deciding to roll out slowly to us now we then would have to ask why are this they rolling it out slowly now and if there is no real evidence that anyone can confirm within the government of extraterrestrial uh, being involved in any way why not just cover this as we have holes in our technology that we should try to overcome so we have a better understanding of what's out there in the skies. There's things that we can't, that we don't have the capacity to track, whether it's due to distance or swamp gas or something else, we don't know, but we just mm -hmm. need to continue to develop our understanding so we can have better aviation and more security over the skies of Earth and not cast it as in any way connected to the, the myth of, of flying saucers. Um, yeah, and uh, Red Tide just made an, uh, an important, I think, comment that a lot of this, as, as I was saying at the very beginning, is, you know, as I was saying, is wish fulfillment, right? And, and I think also can speak to, and just as I say, like, I love to go into this stuff. I love to live action role play as though it's real, really get into like the prophecy. Ooh, there's a date coming up. I can look forward to it. And <laughs> the reason why I do that 
is because I want to know what is that draw, you know? And I was thinking it's like, well, it, it, it something bigger than me, right? And I think in our in our societies, there is that draw of anything bigger than yourself because we're so encouraged to find the whole meaning of life just inside yourself. And that's not going to be enough for people. Um, but also, it, 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 I think at it's ex- these kinds of extreme um, like prophesying and, and facadism as we'll come to in the second hour, um, it, it, it speaks to this um, giving up on humanity that, well, human beings can't say, we won't be able to save ourselves. Something else has to come in and save us. This sort of like um, deus ex machina will come in at the very, in the last hour and save us all um, because we can't do it ourselves. So I think when people kind of go in that direction, it's kind of a, a loss of faith in humanity that maybe we'll be the ones to do this. Maybe we'll be the ones to travel the stars. No, someone has to come in and like bootstrap us. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the, the, I was talking to uh, my psychoanalyst, uh, psychoanalyst girlfriend last night about this, this story. And she says, yeah, well, the aliens are like the ultimate parental figures, aren't they? We can, you know, we have a very ambivalent and ambiguous relationship with them. And, project all sorts of things upon them. Um, and uh, I think that that's worth thinking about too, is how we all are shaped by our relationship to parental authority. And, uh, you know, when we are turning to the skies and the flying saucers to help us um, uh, create a better society or, uh, you know, hoping that they'll take over for us and, and, um, direct uh our efforts on on the planet what what we're really hoping for is a return to childhood uh and a kind of abdicating our responsibility and 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 um wanting to be uh taken care of like i I said earlier but i want to address something that's been in the chat that that is um uh the the last chat i saw was from gene and he says uh I see Doug doesn't want to address anal probes. And um, there's a scene in the, the movie Communion. Of all the comments that I flashed up, <laughs> that one. There's a scene in the movie Communion where Christopher Walken is on board the, the, the flying saucer, on board the spaceship. And they've got him naked and tied up. And they're, they're, they're probing. They're doing the probing. And he yells out, you're probing my mind. So I <laughs> so uh, that's my answer to why they do that. It's an, a roundabout way to get access to our inner world. Is uh, That's what the anal, anal probing is about. Um, so, I think I missed the connection. Are they like reverse Egyptians? Were they? <laughs> I don't know. I just That's my only explanation. I'm not sure why Christopher Walken chose to shout, they're probing my mind while he was strapped down and the probe was clearly, I mean, they didn't show everything, but it was pretty clearly to get, he was getting the anal probe. (laughs) This is like an indirect path to telepathy, I think. Um, So that's my answer as to why they do the anal probing, but um, I'm just guessing. Um, But in all of the experiencer stories that I have read, there's no probing. (laughs) There's not, there's not, the, what the, what I find interesting about them is um, that in a, across a lot of the stories, uh, the ones that I like, at least, um, they're showing like images to people 
and they're doing some kind of it seems like social science research to me but like people 17 cultures removed where they're like showing pictures of different things and they're like um do you worship this (laughs) and they're like um what was it there was one where they showed there was one story i read where they showed like a bunch of pictures of an actual war images um video of mentally of an actual war and then um televised war and cartoon war and asking like what do you how do you feel about this right which is you know there's some interest there right like oh why would they why would they be doing that do they not understand the difference between our or do they worry we don't understand the difference <laughs> so you know um i like that that's a kind of verisimilitude because that seems to me to be what you would do if you would if you came across an advanced civilization but much more primitive than you that's what that's what human humans did right they went and they tried to understand their cultures however ham-fistedly um and did a lot of damage at the same time damage to, to the people and sexually exploited people yeah, i was gonna well. say i think there's a lot of anal probing as well the, 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 um in the i think the reason the anal probe thing became a trope was because of the book communion and um before Whitley Strieber wrote communion. He wrote like a short story about a dominatrix locking her lover in a metal box and torturing him. And at the end of it, the, the, the person that had been tortured came out of the box and was like, thank you. Thank you. I feel like I've been enlightened. I see, I understand reality. Like he'd been tortured to within an inch of his life or, and, and he, he was only grateful to the to the woman who had, had put him through the the torture um and there's a there's a quality that that same kind of quality is in communion like these these aliens do nothing but torture him and at the end it's like they have a spiritual message for us we need to get to our <laughs> so there's a kind of a bdsm quality to the communion i think that might be how the anal probing became part of the the mythos of of the alien experience or story well, on the anthropological angle, um, a, an interesting book on this is I Want to Believe by A.M. Gitlitz, which I started reading um, recently. And um, he makes the kind of um, obvious c- comparison to uh, expeditions in the past. But the way that he introduces that is he says uh, he tells this story about as though it was like early sightings of extraterrestrials going back to um, um hunter-gatherer groups and he talks about how these hunter-gatherer groups saw these vessels that moved very very quickly and the people came out and demanded um tributes and uh and then when they said no more tributes they got really mad started killing everyone with very advanced technology and of course they were talking about the he was talking about the conquistadors or Mm. conquistadors anyways um yeah sorry i think me saying shit out loud and realizing after so many years, you think you're lecturing, right? But anyway, um, what he was talking about, of course, was the, um, you know, the early expeditions that landed in South America and caused enormous destruction and murder and all these sorts of things. So it's not, you know, outside of human experience. Uh, and I do think too, like, by the way, someone said, maybe people believe in this stuff because of what they've experienced, not because of childhood trauma or whatever. Yeah. So we're going through the gamut here of different kinds of Yeah, I, I want to point out that if people if people join us for the second hour on Patreon, there are our do, doppelgangers who absolutely believe every bit of the UFO story. 
will be uh, speaking. Um, uh, this is our public-facing uh, stream for, so people don't think we're absolutely insane. But I do want to go through the process of like just granting that this guy Grush is telling the truth and talking about like what what it would actually mean if he was. But um, uh, but go on, Ashley. I, yeah, well, I am kind of going through like, what if this is the truth, right? So if if this is the truth, you know, one one of the things that I've thought about is um, I really like astrobiology, you know, in this this like, um, well, what was a really fringe kind of area of um, science that's become a lot more um, respectable. Um, but thinking about biology, exotic biology, um, and I really like um the kinds of exotic biology that get out of this idea that life could only ever exist in the Goldilocks zone and so on. Of course, it only exists here because we're the only thing we know exists. It could be all sorts of things, but probably life would exist in very similar forms throughout the universe and evolve in similar ways, right? Mm -hmm. So you would be subject to all the same uh, elements of evolution and so on. And um, this was but things could obviously take a different pathway, a very different pathway socially, if you have an advanced civilization that develops language and communication or symbolic communication of, of some kind. And so they could go through different kinds of pathways, but they would probably it would probably be something similar to what was experienced on Earth. Um, and, uh, and this opens the door to this kind of utopian thinking that imagines like, maybe things didn't have to be this way on earth maybe somewhere else they were different so a lot of socialists in the past had thought now obviously i'm talking with the near past into the 20th century um or maybe the late 19th century had thought that things like advanced no 20th century advanced space travel would only be possible um with communism and so you have um, utopian thinkers or people who are accused of being utopian, like Alexander Bogdanov, who um, created the, the, this sort of, I suppose, wish fulfillment of a communist utopia on Mars. Mm -hmm. So obviously, when people looked out and on onto Mars, and when we started to develop advanced um, telescopes or even primitive telescopes, they began to see canals on Mars or something that looked like canals. And they surmised that they were of some kind of intelligent um, creation. And so this led to all of this imagining of what Martians might be like. And so Bogdanov wrote Red Star talking about how um, socialism might have developed on Mars. And uh, he says that on this particular planet, there were fewer languages, there was fewer, difference, fewer differences between people. Um, that led to them being able to, you know, have fewer issues in their communication and their communalizing of, of their living. And they were able to create socialism much more quickly um, than, than we were. And this was a, a big, this became sort of a big controversy, obviously toward the center of the, the, the middle of the 20th century with like Carl Sagan and the um, famous sort of conference that happened, I think it was in was it 1962 or something like that, where they developed the equation um, of the um, estimate for how many planets there were with intelligent civilization on them. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things was, well, look, as soon as we developed technology, we developed a way of blowing ourselves up. And, you know, this is going to lead to a limited kind of 
carrying capacity in the universe for intelligent species. And Carl Sagan was a lot more optimistic. And um, I think others, obviously, at that conference were a lot more optimistic. And they said, well, look, things didn't necessarily like Bogdanov, Bogdanov, they had said, uh, things could have developed radically differently. Um, just because we developed in this particular way doesn't mean that every civilization necessarily had to develop in ways that um, destroyed themselves utterly. And simply, by the by virt one could argue, by virtue of the fact that if they are real and they are in very advanced spacecraft and so on, then they must have done so. They must have figured out a way to do so without blowing themselves up with extraordinary capacity that could do so. Right. Um, yeah. I, uh, it's not connected to the Fermi paradox. Uh, what that, that story you're just telling. Um, there was like a, a group of physicists who decided to some calculate, uh, you know, the, the likelihood that, that there were, there was other civilizations and then they, postulated that there must be a, a, a large likelihood of self-destruction involved with intelligence, which would explain why, given how many civilizations must exist and how many of them must be very advanced, that there had been no visitation, that there were no flying saucers. And is, is that? Uh, I think it's the Drake right? equation, isn't it? No, maybe, Anyways, maybe. anyone who wants to know more details about this, see A.M. Gitlitz, I want to believe, Posadas and UFOs and Apocalypse con Communism. But right. I believe I'm talking about the Drake Equation, which was uh, formulated in 1961. Okay. Um, in any case, I uh, I I think that, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's someone like Sagan is really interesting to me because he certainly believed in extraterrestrial life, right? He was totally dedicated to the search for extraterrestrial life, but he was very deeply skeptical of the UFO lore. And, and uh, so um, I, I makes me want to return to like reading him and, and hearing what his thoughts were about why the stories of sightings were to be basically dismissed out of hand, even as he was, you know, sending the Voyager spacecraft out to try to, discover alien civilizations um but have you read much sagan ashley um no i haven't but like every time that i see anything from carl sagan you know just in the popular culture i've not really consciously sought it out i'm like that's my kind of guy right like human i'm, I'm a big fan yeah human like by the self-consciousness of the universe it's like it's very hegelian in a way i right. love it yeah yeah. If I ever um, had the time, I would go, I would probably deep dive. So someone earlier in the chat said that we're not acting in good faith because we're pretending not to believe when we really do, or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I don't believe this story. Uh, I don't have a justification, it's not a justified belief. You know, there's no reason to take uh Grush seriously. He didn't present any actual evidence, he just said people in government told me stuff. Um, so of course, no yeah. one should believe this story until that's, that's the other thing. Yeah, go. Sorry. Yeah, and until you know more than just some blurry photos are produced. But you know, it, I would they would have to you know spend a lot of time uh, documenting the evidence, presenting it to the public. Uh, you know, books would need to be published explaining what had happened, and you know, 
and so on before uh, I would be convinced through and through that that the like the there really are craft in the possession of the U.S. government from other planets. Uh, you know that the yeah, a guy told me, and you know, like three or four guys that I know in the military said that this is true, and they showed me some blurry photographs, but I can't show you. That is not adequate evidence to justify a belief in in this story at all. So, but yeah, that is what I, I want to. I'd love to. I go ahead. No, so I noticed I, I watch our conversations back and like I interrupt Doug all the time. God, I'm annoying. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I also interrupt you and it's fine. And I'm also annoying. Thank you going. for interrupting me because I'll just, <laughs> I just never stop talking. If you don't. Anyways, um, no, but that was the thing is that with this particular story, I am at best agnostic, but I am leaning toward. No, I'm not. I, I, I do think that it's mostly I think it's BS, even if the guy truly believes it himself. Because his source is, trust me, bro. Like, <laughs> I'm not even joking because it's not that he said he had seen these things. He said other people told him. That's, that's his source. People confided in him because he, he, he was trustworthy. That's it. And, and then this, of course, brings us back to the most famous objection to the idea that there is a UFO conspiracy or at least a conspiracy to cover up evidence of UFOs that supposedly the American government knows about, which is that it would take such an enormous amount of just um, tightening up of any leaks possible that has never existed in the history of any program. I mean, the biggest projects that the United States government had that we know have existed um, were leaked, you know, and they only existed for a short period of time before they were leaked. So the more people that you have, and I, I feel stupid saying this because I'm sure everybody knows this, but the more people that you have working on something, the more likely it is that you're going to have whistleblowers, you're going to have people who are going to leak information. Um, and so you just would have leaked or, or, you know, on the other hand, maybe that's what this is. Maybe that's what all the stories are, right? It's, it's a, uh, the seal is not tight enough. And it's not possible for it to be tight enough. Yeah, and that's historically yeah. perhaps there campaigns of discrediting by the men in black and all that sort of thing that kept it on, uh, at least covered up enough. That yeah, well, it was I mean, side of, of of normal discussion. Have there been instances where um, a kind of an urban legend has emerged for years and years around a topic that people suspect something? Um, and you know, there are some leaks maybe, but they're not really, they're sort of half discredited. And then, you know, something happens where, uh, the story can be validated and confirmed. Um, and you know, after the fact where we basically, you can see the leaks, but they, they don't take hold, uh, or aren't, aren't given, aren't, they don't seem credible over a long period of time. Can you think of an example like that? I mean, I have one, which is um, in 1980, there were reports of an October surprise saying that the Reagan administration had um, sent representatives, the Reagan campaign at the time had sent representatives to uh, the Middle East, to various places to uh, try to com communicate with the Iranian officials that they should not release the hostages that were being held at the time to the car to Carter's administration that if they kept the hostages, the, the Reagan would give them a better deal. Um, and 
and then what happened was the, the hostages were released on the day of Reagan's inauguration. Um, so, and lots of people, even that day, like right around the time of, of Reagan taking office, believed that he had orchestrated some deal with the Iranian government. And I remember I was asked by a, uh, like a news reporter uh, at my school. This is a very vague memory, but um, like, what did you, th what do you think about the new president Reagan? And I told him what my babysitter had told me, which is, I think he made a deal with the Iranians to keep the hostages. <laughs> I would have been like nine years old. Um, <laughs> uh, so like it was not covered up, but no one in major media, you know, would report it as a fact. And it was only thought of as a kind of a left-wing conspiracy theory by most people until recently when the New York Times uh, issued a kind of deathbed confession from somebody who had been involved. Um, but even now, I think, you know, people on the right would, would debate it, would say, oh, no, it's not true. It's just a conspiracy theory. Um, yeah, when the revelation happens that something is true, it usually happens so long after no one cares anymore. This is what happens with lots of things. Like there's a famous, I've, I've used this example before, so forgive me, but um, where um, George W. Bush was giving a speech and he was like, um, he mumbled under his breath that um, the war in Iraq was unjust or something like that. Uh, which like, or, you know, at the time would have been an enormous revelation that he would come out and say that. No, I wish I could remember the details, but anyways, um, and, but nobody cared anymore. He's just some guy who paints badly now <laughs> and rubs shoulders with various um, beloved members of the media. So who gives a shit now? So, but again, something like aliens though, and like discovering life on another planet seems like an evergreen kind of issue. It's not like you could be like, oh, by the way, Roswell was, was a real thing. You know? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's that's what this whistleblower is saying, right? Yes, that is. Um, effectively, yeah, no one no one cares. So maybe maybe there's something to that. Well, no, but we we don't care because it it is is only you know it, it. We were told by the guy who can get you weed if you're at a party on a military base. We weren't, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> nothing, nothing uh, uh, really convincing has been said yet. So um, uh, I, I'm waiting for an actual revelation to come out. But, of the but here's, here, mark my words: if there is actually a revelation, I guarantee that's how it will will come about. There will be no sudden revelation unless governments have suddenly decided they need to reduce the population or something, and don't mind if a whole bunch of people join <laughs> join suicide cults. Do you think that if people okay, Lev, that's this is setting up our next hour because we're gonna let's we'll talk about like what would happen if it's true and it was disclosed in the second half. Um, and I, I look forward to to that conversation. I do want to point out that your story about Bush um saying under his breath that the war in Iraq was uh, unjust, what happened was he was trying to condemn Putin's uh, illegal yeah. invasion of Ukraine. And he accidentally said Iraq, yeah. Iraq. And then he and then was he like, well, that, 
that that too i suppose was an illegal unjustified yeah and the way that he said it was like with great regret Oof, that too <laughs> right like, and, then, and, and everybody laughed um thousands of people oh, hundreds of thousands dead for nothing let bygones be bygones because look at this evil people and we're we we have evolved now now we're the good yeah, guys we're way beyond where we were 20 years ago clearly so much more advanced um all right well listen um thank you everybody for for finding the second stream my sorry my apologies my sorries my apologies again for uh for messing that up at the start um I will put a link to the second stream, uh, you know, as a comment and in the description of this. And, and uh, in the second stream, we will reveal to you what we really believe and the fact that I'm actually a reptilian. Oh, my God, I've said too much. In the case of nuclear or radiological fallout, people living around potential targets such as military bases and chemical 